In the fall of 1996, I was in my final year of architecture school at uh, Carleton University, and I was doing my research thesis. Um, I had no idea what a thesis was. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I had no idea where I was going with the whole architectural education. I had already taken a year off to travel uh, in Europe with my best friend, Mark, and had had an amazing, eye-opening time. I had hoped that during that time that I would develop some sort of idea for what my thesis could be, um, my area of research or my area of study, into creating an architecture. But I ultimately found myself floundering. It was never focused enough. Um, but nonetheless, it's something I still think about quite often. And a couple of weeks ago, perhaps about a month ago, a discussion came up in the Discord. And um, it got me thinking about this thesis, um, the title of which is Place and Displace, or The Storyteller, The Listener, and The Eavesdropper. Uh, and it was published uh, in December of 1996. Now, it's by no mean, no means. I, the more I look at it, it was no me. It was it was nowhere near a good research thesis. It was a piece of art. I think it was a creation. It's something that's valid. I think it's good in that it keeps me thinking about it. I think I had some ideas there, but it just did not have the rigor. I think that it uh, needed to have to be an actual piece of research um, that was worthy of of the the time that I asked the critics to come in and, you know, listen to me as I talked about it. Anyway, I decided I'd uh, read it out to you, and it'll just be what it is. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> Doug here again. Um, uh, from much later, several days later, um, upon re-listening to this, I've realized that I forgot to mention something here. This thesis, this this thing I'm about to read you, um, went along with a built piece that I installed in the stairwell at the School of Architecture at Carleton University. Essentially what it was was um, a physical tape loop that went from a first floor or you know half half floor landing um in a stairwell all the way up to the fifth floor of the architecture building and it was a physical tape loop that recorded the conversations or the noises and sounds that would happen down on the bottom landing uh and bring them physically all the way up to the fifth floor landing play them back on a speaker up there and then they would come back down to the main floor landing and also play there but at the same time continue recording over top of itself so it ended up being this multi-layer echoing thing um i also built like a little sandbox there and i tried to sort of make a space for it um that was sort of the physical manifestation of uh, some of the narrative that I wrote this um, collection of thoughts and images and who knows whatever free association writing that you're about to hear now so there you go to give you a little bit of context okay 
My belief is that music or sound has a personal, spatial memory associated with it, or that is evoked by it. The reason being that a piece of music can, in me, create a waking dream feeling that could be considered a filmic memory. Whether false or not, the memory exists. It is a sensory experience, film of the mind that is created or evoked by the music. If music has the power, then, to create such a vivid visual and spatial feeling, or film, then can this power be tapped to create an architecture? Can an architecture arise from a soundtrack? Can a text act as a soundtrack? Can a soundtrack create a text? Can these soundtracks work together or individually toward an architecture? Can the same transformations that one is able to do to sound be applied to text? How about the built environment? One such transformation that has offered itself up to me is that of the echo decay loop. This is what I have tried to explore. A lone feather flies on its own, spiraling in an updraft on a nearly windless day. Cloud covers thick like a big old down comforter. An attempt to capture all that embodies hay coolness on film. Not so easy, especially with low light. Feet fall in familiar steps, but still like they were virgin. Down a mountainside to catch the perfect bridge, the perfect landscape, and the perfect portrait. Nothing will beat the mental snapshot of calming pastoral settings in buttercups and green, the ultimate in calm, cool collectedness, sublime times in which to kick mental stones. I could do this forever. If I were asleep, I'd be dreaming. But this time reality is all the more vivid. For me, Christmas has come early. Not just for the year, but perhaps for a lifetime. There is no gift that could give more than the contemplation of the sublime while sitting on a rock some five hundred feet above a gorge, waiting for the sun to move across the cliff tops like a giant spotlight to highlight that little bit of ocean sediment that is now a mountain. Nothing like seeing the great chunk of solid, mostly permanent matter transform as the lighting conditions change and sync with my thoughts. Unfortunately, all that I'm able to say at this time of great revelation and moving contemplation, all of these great feelings of exaltation are failed by words in the moment and instead result in just one enormous whole-body sigh. May my wind forever propel you, little feather. That's from December 20th, 1995.
I'm smoking too much lately. Although someone told me that smokers have better memories. Some scientist somewhere decided to do a bit of research on the matter. But he was a smoker too. My memory? Well, I can't say that it is any better than anyone else's. But I do have quite a few of them. I remember the first day that I came to this school. Straight out of high school. Straight out of Windsor. Afraid. Alone. Sad. My girlfriend is giving me stress. Uh, The head of this first-year studio says forget about going home for Thanksgiving. I'm so homesick. I won't make it to Christmas. I think. I think about home. I want to go home. I cry at night. Everyone here wears black and they all seem very much at ease. I don't think that I'll ever feel at home here. That's when I took up smoking again. Not for the same reasons as before, though. In high school, it was something cool to do. An image thing. I remember, if you weren't seen in the smoking area, you were no one. Good thing I quit. This time, though, it was stress, or I guess loneliness, that started it. I go for a smoke in the stairwell with some of the guys that I met here. It's relaxing. We swap stories. John can really tell a story. He gets me in there. That guy's poetic. I'm more relaxed now. This is finally becoming home. I pass through here now and then and remember the stories. I even tell some good ones now. They change once in a while. I'm not sure what triggers them. It could be a sound or a smell, even a quality of light, heck, even a good shit or something on television. I see my mark around here. Slugger, sprayed on a locker or some beam or column. A few spray-glued photocopies still bear my image on a locker here and there. This stairwell, though. No physical marks are there of my past visits, smokes, conversations. Just memories. Quickly passing memories. Conversations and bits of burnt tobacco falling in time, falling to the back of my mind, waiting to loop back to the front at the right trigger. This present seems to last just about as long as the coffee that I'm drinking remains in me. Does my piss bring any coded memories of me to the fish that eventually swim in it? Do they remember Cosmic? Me, standing there. I'm singing, well, screaming to a crowd of at least 800 people. Jeff's grinding steel above me, a shower of hot burning sparks bounce on my bare back and my freshly shorn head. This only helps to make me sing with more anger. The crowd loves it. Man, that was a great set. I need a smoke. This is the stairwell that brought me to that stage. This is the stairwell that brought me back from that stage. Changed. The echoes of those adrenaline-powered screams still ring in these walls. Do you hear it? Do you hear me now? Do you hear yourself? Nick, too. I hear him. That laugh, that strange drawl in his voice as he talks about his latest studio project, or the rockets that we just launched. I smell the coffee and donuts of John's thesis presentation. I smell the cigarette of the guy that was just here. I smell spray paint. My coffee's cold. It's cold in here. Dark, too. Cold and dark. It was cold and dark in Napoleon, Greece, when we arrived. We had just been on a hell of a journey, something like 36 hours of travel by rail, sea, and bus. 
We were met at the bus station by an energetic, anxious, and, well, nice young fellow trying to get us to stay at his place. He's cheaper than the others. Follow me, he says, just up here. Is he going to kill us? Rob us? My Naples reaction rears its ugly North American head. Too much paranoia. So we follow. It's winter here. January 20. Winter in Greece is basically cool and rainy. The stone streets shine in the dim porch lights of the shops and homes we pass by. Rain falls on my head. My pack is heavy. The cardboard box that I've been lugging around since Venice takes another moist beating. It'll hold up. The box always holds up. The whine of scooters off in the distance. I'm climbing a hill, past the shops that sell tourist items, up towards the old fortress at the top of the hill, Acronaphleon. The room, a boathouse, two beds, one light. There are sailing artifacts and photos on the wall of what might be family members. I think I recognize the man that brought me here. The man that brought me here. The woman that brought me here. They're retired now. She's a horticulturalist and he's an engineer turned accountant. Will they understand me? They spend most of their time at their cottage, tearing down walls, installing new windows, planting a garden. Those fresh garden tomatoes are tasty and last the winter in homemade salsa and tomato sauce. I looked in the mirror. I think I recognized the man that brought me here. The man that brought him here. Fixing radios was a way for him to supplement his income. The auto plant only paid enough to feed his kids and keep the house barely running. His wife and lifelong companion worked at the supermarket to help out in these rough times. I'll always remember those white shoes. I thought she was a nurse. So, there in the basement of the house built by her father way back when, sits the testers, tubes, and old radios waiting to be fixed, tweaked, or generally tuned up. This is his solace. The glow of the tubes, casting orange on his face as he leans over an amplifier brought in by a friend down the street. Something had gone wrong, and now the nightly radio dramas sit silent. The only sounds coming from that house down the block are children chattering about their favorite superhero, men from Mars, and their favorite warplanes and hockey players. These mix with the regular sounds of the house like the boiler, a squealing kettle, clanging pipes, and the usual 60 hertz hum. Glowing orange, the smell of solder, story of soldiers, a tape from a man halfway around the world. Sometimes I find myself doing things and not knowing how or why I started doing these things. Perhaps it is just a product of my environment. Maybe it's a kind of virus. I arrive at studio and set out to do some real work, to create my goal. However, I start taking apart objects around me, reel-to-reel tape machines, blueprint machines, old keyboards, just about anything just to see how they work and, if I can, fix them. Messing around with sounds and the sound equipment that is strewn about. Every once in a while, something really amazing happens, and I sit here in awe of it. Then, realizing the time, wonder where the day has gone. 
Echoes of thoughts return to me now and then, and the walls melt. From here, I can see where I've been and sometimes where I'm going. The sound encompasses me. Low frequencies warm my soul as clouds drift by, postcards of my thoughts. Angelic voices give me hope and transport me there, past the walls, through the screens and meshes, the seats, chairs, barbecues, computer desks, and uncomfortable workstations. I am everywhere. Sitting here, I hear the hum of a fan whirring away incessantly, soaking up AC and moving stale, smoky air about. The crinkling of audio tape as hands grab, cut, and splice it into loops. Loops of different lengths, different times. Somewhere in the background, a person talks about the party planned for the weekend. Somewhere in the background, a person talks about the party planned for the weekend. On the other side of the wall, water pipes whistle and rumble the as the music the fills and trickles with the other chant sounds and smoke. The shuffle of feet, distant calls and shouts, the banging of a skateboard after distant an awl, calls and shouts, shouts that echo and decay and fade out, shouts that echo and decay and fade out, the striking of a match, the almost inaudible burn of a cigarette followed by a smoker's cough. Butts lie on the floor with fallen or discarded tape pieces, pieces of the loop. Secondhand smoke permeates the air, burns nostrils. A door squeaks open. A chair shifts. Passing conversations come and go. The capstans are in place and await the beginning of the loop. The loop begins. The following is the reading of the specification sheet for the model EDL-517. The EDL-517 Specifications Model number 517 Material Reinforced concrete, steel, wood, glass Color Vertical Components Input Model TC-105 See the manufacturer's manual Supporting frame Material, hot rolled steel, height 13 inches, width 14 and 5 eighths inches, depth 5 and 1 quarter inches. Microphone, model R33-1065. Output, model TC355, see manufacturer's manual. Supporting frame, material, hot rolled steel, height 14 inches, width 15 and 3 quarter inches, Depth, five and one half inches. Loudspeaker. 
Model PCB150K. Height, 10 inches. Width, 6 and 3 eighths inches. Depth, 6 inches. Impedance, 6 ohms. Power handling, 20 watts. Mixer. Model number PR5700. See Manufacturer's Manual. Directional Tension Mediating Capstans, or DMTCs. Model number 517. Material, cold rolled steel, aluminum, brass. Length, 18 inches. Width, 1 inch. Depth, 1 and 3 quarter inches. General Description. The model EDL-517 is designed to record on a loop of magnetic tape an input sound, then play back that sound after a delay of several seconds. The amount of time for this delay is dependent on the length of magnetic tape loop, the physical distance between the input device and the output device, and the speed at which the magnetic tape travels. The result is, a source sound is recorded and echoed sometime later through the loudspeaker. The echoed sound is also re-recorded onto the magnetic tape at the same time as any other ambient source sound that is being emitted in the confines of the EDL-517. This is enabled by the PR-5700 mixing unit. Setting up the EDL-517. Step 1. Secure the TC-105 in its bracket in the place where the input sounds will be recorded. This is known as place. Step 2. Secure the TC-355 in its bracket in the place where the input sounds will be played back. This is known as displace. Note, the physical distance between place and displace is a factor in the delay time. Step 3. Secure the PR-5700 mixing unit near to the TC-105. Step 4. Secure the DTMCs in the locations where the magnetic tape loop must change direction. Step 5. Connect the microphone, the R33-1065, to the PR-5700 mixing unit in the jack marked mic. Place microphone in the desired position. Step 6. Connect the RCA plugs of the two-plug RCA there is no gift in the city waiting for the sun to move across the year highlight that little bit there's no gift in the city waiting for the sun to move across the highlight that connect another with a quarter inch plug to the TC355 in the jack mark headphones. All of these great feelings of exaltation and instead result I'm able to say at one time a great revelation All of these great feelings of exaltation and instead result I'm able to say at one time a great revelation Step 12. Set the TC-105 to record and the TC-355 to play. Step 13. Turn on the power for the TC-105, PR-5700, and TC-355. Step 14. Adjust the record and mixer levels to desired positions.
Step 15. Input source sounds. Splicing the loop. Splicing is easy to do. What is required is one quarter inch magnetic tape, splicing tape, a razor or sharp scissors, and an optional splicing block. Select the desired length of tape for the loop. Overlap the ends of the magnetic tape slightly. The Cut the magnetic tape diagonally using the, the razor or scissors. Match the two ends and fix them together using the splicing tape. Trim off the excess splicing tape, cutting into the recording tape slightly. Data subject to change without notice. Data subject to change without notice. The smell of stale smoke and dead butts fills the cool air. Footsteps on concrete, rough and gritty. Footsteps on steel. Booming echoes of low frequencies as the stairs become an instrument to be played with the feet. The tempo of climbing or descending. Enter the new climber. Thin, sleek, light and magnetic in nature. The motion begins. Someone speaks. Silence is broken. The attack begins and ends. One second, seven and one half inches. Someone is still speaking. The attacks come fast and furious. Ten seconds, seventy-five inches. A chain hits metal. A cough. A snort. Twenty seconds, one hundred and fifty inches. Someone is listening. Someone is speaking. Thirty-two seconds. Someone speaks. Silence is broken. Someone is talking to himself. Someone is hearing himself. Sixty-four seconds. A group of voices. Someone is speaking to himself, 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 and himself. Someone is listening. A door opens. One hundred and twenty-eight seconds. Footsteps on concrete. Footsteps on steel. Someone is speaking. Someone is listening. Another has arrived and speaks. Someone speaks. Another listens, and someone listens. 160 seconds. A door opens. Footsteps on concrete. Footsteps on steel. Someone is speaking. Someone is listening. Another is listening. Another arrives and speaks. Someone listens, and so does another. There are only two people here. The storyteller begins a story, a story about a past experience that is reminded to him perhaps by the burning sensation on his bottom, or the cool air filled with smoke as dusklight fills orange in space. His words are echoes in the small chamber. They filter through the spaces in between the stairs and bounce off these concrete walls. They build up in number, in power, waiting to escape through an open door and tickle the ears of another. For now, they tickle the ears of the listener. This is the listener's story. It is for him. The storyteller chooses his words carefully and gears them towards his listener. He's never told this story before, at least not like this. His mother heard a different version, a different mix. The listener is now paying close attention to his storyteller and the storyteller to his listener. As he tells his tale, visions, feelings, smells, and sounds of the past return to him, becoming almost tangible. His mouth forms around and caresses the words as they leave. Through the trachea, vibrations in the larynx, attack, vibration, modulation, and transformation. Over the tongue, licking the vowels and chewing the consonants, kissing the words goodbye.
They are free to do what they please, create, destroy, or just fade out. Input Into the listener's ear, past the hairs, the wax, onto the drum. Thump, thump. Synaptic surges and loops, connections to vital lobes. The listener brings up his own visions, feelings, smells, and sounds of the past. Layers the present on the past, on the past, on the near past, on the present. His own bottom is burning. The storyteller is silhouetted by the light, by his own story. The listener creates his own version of the story, as some of these words do, indeed, just fade out, or perhaps are ricocheted by a wild hand gesture or another sound off in the distance. Someone yelling, spraying, hammering. Hammering on a drum. The listener's drum. Into the ear. Onto the drum. Into the listener's brain. The storyteller's story is not the only thing that is being changed here, however. The listener has been in this place before, this stairwell. He's been here for a smoke or a conversation or a coffee break, away from the noise and confusion of his workspace. Maybe he's just passed through before. But now, now something is different. Something about this place is different. There's something else here, or someone. Something is displacing him from where he is now, the present. The near past is now the present, as he realizes that there is a 30 or so second delay echo on the storyteller's story. It's repeating, but at the same time changing, as layer upon layer or section upon section of the story is echoed back to them. It is slightly confusing for him at first, but soon becomes an interesting diversion, then a soundtrack of the space and their visit. The EDL 517 is doing its job. The experience of this everyday place is changed. They get up and leave. Time to work again. As they leave, their conversation continues and dies out slowly sometime after their exit. Now they have left more than just cigarette butts, empty coffee cups, gum wrappers, the smell of smoke, cologne, or body odor. There is now their echo, their transformed conversation. Enter the eavesdropper. At some point, during the storyteller's story, or stories, he enters. Maybe at the beginning, maybe in the middle. Perhaps even after they have left. He stands and listens, head cocked to a side, trying to decipher the conversation happening twenty feet or so below him. His version of the story is completely different from the storytellers and the listeners. He catches bits of sentences, oddly placed words, verbs acting as nouns, nouns acting as verbs, strange couples. He hears only the transforming, decaying, or growing story as the EDL 517 does its job. He hears an echo of that place in this place. Other sounds enter the loop and begin to repeat in a rhythm. Are they meant to enhance the story? Are they the result of a violent gesture? A comical bit of slapstick? Or are they from somewhere else?
This place used to be just a disused, cramped landing. Now it's a place of surveillance. Yet it is a deceptive kind of surveillance, for he doesn't know the whole story. He knows a compact, dense version of the story. He may not even be sure of how many people, if any, there are below him, talking or doing whatever. The EDL 517 is doing its job. This is the problem with coming in on a conversation in the middle of it. The meaning or subject of it can be misunderstood. However, this is also the benefit of such a situation. It is a creative act that can reorient or change the perspective of another's experience or one's own. This new understanding could give rise to new thoughts, new creations, new narrative. The EDL 517. The EDL 517. The EDL 517. The EDL 517. And so there you have it. It's now 2019, 22 years or so after I wrote that. Um, and like I said, I don't think it really presents itself as a research thesis. Um, you have to understand that in Carleton Architecture School, it was it was not sort of a um, typical research thesis that one might see uh, at any time. Um, they, weren't, they weren't highly researched. They weren't highly reported on, as far as I remember. They were often very, very serious art projects and often exploring, exploring the world of creativity and art and thinking. At the time, I was experimenting with a um, a style of writing that was kind of, uh, I guess one would say, stream of consciousness, which <laughs> very recently I was criticizing when I was reading some Jack Kerouac, um, a novel called The Subterraneans. And I found that I couldn't read that. Um, perhaps it wasn't the actual style of the writing, perhaps it was more the subject of it. Perhaps it's just where I am in life. But I do have a connection to this piece, and I think I was trying to build I was trying to build a world, I was trying to build a narrative that that might somehow spark um, creativity. I was having trouble at the time, and actually for most of my time in university and in architecture school, um, trying to figure out how it was that one created a building. What was the thing that would give someone the passionate drive to actually create something? And I think for a long time, I mistook... I mistook a way of thinking about architecture as more of a way of generating architecture. 
I think it was probably my laziness that seems to be inside me for many things. Um, or perhaps insecurities, perhaps lack of ambition, whatever. There was this part of me that wanted to not be responsible for the, at that point, architecture that I would generate. I wanted to find a way to reveal architecture to myself through creating some sort of generator, essentially, some sort of thought generator, some sort of motor, some sort of magic potion, I think, to help me create and come up with stuff. And it became a bit of an obsession with me, and it still, I think, is a bit of a an interest that I have, which is why I've done certain things like suggest the podcast Seed Project, of which, if you are not aware, this is an episode of that project and is a result of the most recent seed. Um, that seed was the word eavesdropping. I don't know what this work has to do with architecture. I don't think that one or I could create a architecture that comes from this. I have a feeling it's not particularly possible, but what it did start to reveal to me shortly after I even created this was that the narrative or the story seemed to be very important to me. And now, 20-some-odd years on, reflecting back on this, I find it ironic, or perhaps fitting, because maybe I don't understand irony. Um, I find it interesting, let's say, that I have found myself doing design work and architecture for an industry that requires one to very closely look at the narrative. Set design is very much related to the story, to the script. We need to build sets and create locations and create settings for a narrative to take place in. And I think that that's what I was ultimately really looking for when I was writing this story of, or this, I don't know what you want to call it, this thing, this thesis, it's the worst word to call it. But when I was writing this place and displace the storyteller, the listener, and the eavesdropper, I think I was sort of thinking about narrative at that point, and I guess memory. And when I went on in the second semester to do my practical thesis, I got together with a couple of other friends of mine that were in the same year, also going into their final semester of architecture and doing their theses. And together we did one together, a practical thesis where we actually, we went and we built a record store, a CD store, a music store um, in Ottawa on uh, Elgin Street, I believe, right across from the Lieutenant's Pump. 
and we used many of our ideas about narrative and history and the story of an object to try to help us inform our design as we went along into creating this record store. But I think that in the end, it, it ended up being less about that and more about making cool stuff again, which is ultimately what I was trying to get away from by looking for something to to generate architecture. I guess that I felt that I didn't have I didn't have the talent or the 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 responsibility or the right, I think is maybe the more important word. I didn't have the right to say that whatever it was that I was designing was appropriate. That what I thought was cool or looked good had any sort of valid reason for existing in the world other than I created it. It seemed to, at least from what I had gathered through our education, it was that it seemed to need to have a reason for being there and it needed to be solidly uh, based in, I don't know, some sort of lore, I guess. It's still a struggle. But I guess that's always the same for anybody who tries to create something. Anyway, that's long enough of you listening to me getting all artistic and whatnot. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. It's uh, been a long time in the making. Uh, a lot of recording and editing and mixing and it's been a real it's been a real joy to do it and it's been interesting to sort of re-spark this um well reread this creation from 20 years ago it's been a while since i've read it and to re-spark the the fire um of those you know that furnace of thoughts that um that revolve around these particular characters of the storyteller, the listener, and the eavesdropper. I still think about this project and many of the other projects that I did in architecture school, and I wish that I could take the knowledge and the experience that I have now and go back and do them again. But in an, on the other hand, I'm sort of glad that I did what I did for them, and that they have informed where I am today. Thanks for listening in on me as I read you some of my memories and some of my past. Until next time, take care. <laughs>